Um, so this morning we're in our Rediscovering Jesus series, so I'm going to pray for us and then we'll dive into what the Lord has prepared for us today. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we love you, uh, and I'm just I'm so excited for uh, the things that you've laid in my heart for uh, me to say, and I just pray that whatever my opinion or whatever my thoughts uh, that may have that, that, that do not line with yours, Lord, would just go to the wayside and that your truth would remain and that we would walk away changed by you. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for Jesus and everything that he's done, and we're so excited to learn from his example today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So when I was younger, one of the most common compliments that my mother would give me was that I would make an incredible lawyer one day. An incredible lawyer one day. Because whenever, whenever she tried to get me in trouble for something, I always had a reason why. I was able to weasel my way out of it. She would always say, you've got an answer for everything. And so I was super, super good at it. I also was pretty good at arguing. And so I, I was pretty good at getting my way whenever, uh, whenever I wanted to. Uh, whenever I was able to, sometimes it didn't work out. But one of the ones, one of the most, one of the ones, one of the arguments that I'm most proud of winning was when I convinced my dad to get a second dog. Uh, when we got, we, we had a German shepherd growing up, his name was Zeus, and he was incredible, he was amazing, and then he passed away, and it was heartbreaking, and it was really, really sad, and so after he passed away, my dad passed the very controversial no more dogs policy. It was an intense piece of legislation. It was very, very strong. You know, it made it through all the checks and balances, and, and it lasted for a little while, but I was preparing a case. And the one day, I, I went up to my dad and said, hey, like, why don't, why don't we go out for a run? You know, we haven't, we haven't spent a lot of quality time together, and that was all my, that was my guys under. I was like, let's spend some quality father-son time together. And so we went out, we went over to the park that we live across the street from, and we started our run, and that's when the case began. And he was not ready. I had points. I had sub-points. The cross-examination was intense. I was, you know, prosecuting things. He couldn't handle the truth. It was really, really amazing. And so by the end of it, you know, she, he had a few arguments that he made, but I, I could feud every single one. And by the end of that time, we walked away from, from that run, and we were already planning to get our second dog. And so I was very, very proud of myself for that. Praise God. And we ended up getting another German shepherd. Uh, his name was Helios, a uh, 140-pound German shepherd, a lot to love. Uh, and so he was really incredible. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away this past May, which was really, really sad. And so once again, we have the no more dog policy. <laughs> Um, but we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, Dad, I've been meaning to ask you to go for a run, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Um, but the reason that I bring that up is, is maybe as parents, some of you guys have a kid that, that was like me, a kid that has an answer for everything, that's able to justify uh, his actions in whatever way, that's able to, to kind of snake his way out of trouble, his or her way out of trouble. Or, or students, maybe you guys have siblings out there that are really, really good at getting their way or really, really good at getting out of trouble when you know that they should definitely be in trouble. Um, and so the reason I, I bring this up is that, that there's a lot of people out there that are incredible lawyers. Um, but one of the points that I want to make before we dive into our text, text today is, is just kind of addressing the reality that actually we're all really good lawyers. Yes, some of us are really good at influencing other people. Some of us are really good at arguing and getting their way out of things. Uh, but I promise you that every single person in this room is an incredible lawyer to themselves. We are really, really good at being a lawyer to ourselves. Last week, we talked about temptation, and, and we made the really, really awesome point where uh, we're never really tempted to do selfless things. Like, I'm never really tempted to be like, oh my gosh, like, I really got to give more money to this thing. Like, I, I just really want to do that. I got to get my fix there. Like, we're always tempted to do selfish things. 
And, and when temptation comes, we're, we're very good at, at arguing for ourselves. We're kind of our number one fan. We're really good at arguing for ourselves to do some things that we shouldn't be doing. Um, or we're just really good at whenever temptation comes along. We're really kind of one of the things that always comes to our mind is, oh my gosh, I deserve this. Prime example, uh, Wednesday I had a doctor's appointment, and I was driving home from my doctor's appointment, and uh, I, I saw this sign for this new uh, sizzly at Wawa. You guys ever heard of Wawa? It's pretty good. Um, this new sizzly at Wawa, it's the waffle sizzly. Has anyone had the waffle sizzly? Yes, Kelby, my man. That's why I got to the announcements this week. Um, the waffle sizzly. So it's a normal breakfast sandwich, but it's made with two waffles. And I saw that, and let me tell you, like my inner lawyer took no time to convince me that I deserved that. So I immediately pulled over, and I went in, and I got that waffle sizzly. It was so good, so delicious. I highly recommend it. Then I got home. I was talking with my brother, and then he informed me that it was 600 calories for just one. <laughs> Again, I don't think I have any regrets, but my goodness, that's a little scary. So all of us have these inner lawyers inside of us. We're really good at justifying our actions to ourselves. We're really good at advocating our behalf of saying, like, I deserve this or I should be doing this. And so whenever temptation comes our way, whether it's small little temptations or it's large temptations, we're really good at convincing ourselves to do things. Um, we're really good at convincing ourselves to do things that sometimes we shouldn't do. Uh, but one thing that I want to note before we get into our text today is that not only are we good at convincing ourselves to do things that we probably shouldn't do, we're also really good at convincing ourselves out of doing things that we probably should be doing. And in fact, whenever the Lord or, or something prompts on our hearts, we're really good at coming up with a million reasons why we shouldn't do what the Lord is calling us to do. And so in our text today, we are going to be looking at a guy named Peter, Simon Peter. I call him Pete for short. Um, we're on that level. Uh, and so Peter, this is going to be one of his first encounters with Jesus. And you're going to see that this was a man, he's asked to do something by, by God. And if we really think about where he's at in the text, he has a million reasons why. His inner lawyer must be going wild because his, he has a million reasons why he shouldn't listen to Jesus. And yet he still obeys. And I think there's something that we can learn from that. And I think there's a little bit of challenge there. Um, before we dive into our text, just a little recap. We're in our Rediscovering Jesus series, and based off of uh, Andy Stanley's 90 series, and so what we're going to be doing is we're going through the significant moments in the life of Jesus Christ leading up to Easter, which Easter's like two months away, which is crazy. It was just Christmas. Um, and so leading up to Easter and the resurrection, and so we're just kind of looking in at the life of Christ. Um, and I told this to my students, uh, but I'll tell it to you guys as well. One of the most, one of the reasons that we do this is because we're looking at the life of Christ. He's our perfect example. And so seeing Jesus, this perfect human being, seeing the way he interacts with people, seeing the way he handles temptation, there is so much we can learn from because he is the perfect example. And not only that, but for those of you that are Christians in this room, you have a relationship with this person. And so you have the opportunity to get to know your Savior just a little bit more, which will help you understand where he's working in your life. And so the first week we uh, talked about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was kind of the announcer, like the like here comes Jesus kind of guy. And he said, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there entered Jesus onto the scene. And as soon as Jesus entered onto the scene, he immediately was taken away and he, he went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and there he was tempted by the devil. And that's what we talked about last week. And so where we're picking up today is he returns from the temptation with the devil and he starts his ministry. And his ministry begins pretty, pretty well. He heals a bunch of people. He casts out a bunch of demons. He's making a pretty good name for himself. Uh, he's accruing a little bit of a following. If he had a Twitter, he'd probably be verified. Um, 
That's for my students in the room. I'm, I'm relevant. I'm cool. I know what Twitter is. Um, and so, yeah, so he's accruing a huge following, but now he's in the process of choosing his closest disciples. So you'll see throughout the Gospels that he always has a ton of people following him, but then there's kind of like Jesus' inner circle, the 12 people that he's intentionally pouring into because he knows that these are the people that are going to take his Gospel to the ends of the earth. And so this is where we pick up with Peter. Just a little backstory on him and Peter. Uh, Peter had Jesus over, and, and, and uh, his mother-in-law was sick. Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So that's their first encounter, but this, again, is the more significant one. So starting out in uh, Luke chapter 5, so if you're in your Bibles or in the bulletin, you can see there. Uh, at this point, just to give you a little bit of narrative of what's going on here, uh, on this occasion, well, I'll just read on this occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is basically the, the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but, uh, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the, bo from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and that's where we'll pause right there. So basically what we have going on here is right now Jesus has a bit of a following and has an opportunity to do some uh, uh, preaching. And so Peter comes in with his fishing friends. They were out fishing all night. And uh, Peter, you know, Jesus comes up to Peter and says, hey, can I, can I get out to your boat? The crowds are a little crazy out here. I'd like to get a little bit of distance from them so that way they can all hear me. And so he asks to get into Peter's boat. And Peter, I'm sure, is very tired, but he's like, okay, listen, this guy healed my mother-in-law. I, I owe him one. Let's go out. And so they go out onto the sea, and Jesus starts teaching. And uh, it doesn't say how long that he was teaching for, but he did sit down to start teaching, and he's also God. So I'm sure that he has a lot to say. I don't know if you guys have read his book, but it's pretty big. Uh, and so Jesus has a lot to say, and so he teaches, I'd imagine, for a little long while, and then we get to the point where he asked Peter to do something. And, and that's, that's where we're picking up today, and that's where we see in the bulletin. So he says, when he finished speaking, uh, or the text says, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Pause. A little bit of back talk from Pete here. He's, he's getting a little fresh with Jesus here. He's, he's, saying, he's, he's kind of getting a little exasperated with him. Um, and one note that I want to make before we continue in this text is that a lot of times, who here, who here knows this story? Who here knows where this is going, knows what happens with it? A fair amount of you. If you grew up in church or familiar with the Bible at all, this is a pretty famous story. Uh, and I just want to make a note on reading the Bible before we continue on with this that, that I think will help us to, to read and empathize with the characters a little bit more. A lot of times when we read the Bible, uh, we can read something like this, and because we know the ending, we're not really able to empathize with the characters a lot. We're not really able to connect with them because we kind of know what's going on. Prime example, uh, when we get to Judges, we're going to read the story of Gideon. And Gideon is, is met by an angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord tells him, like, hey, I'm going to use you to push away the Philistines. You're going to be this amazing war hero. And for like three or four chapters, Gideon just kind of, you know, is very indecisive. He's very insecure, and he wrestles with God. He lays out a feast, fleece. Some crazy things happen with the fleece. And then he lays out the fleece again. There's all this stuff. And it's easy for us who know the ending, who knows what happens when he finally obeys God, for us to look at that and be like, Gideon, what are you doing, man? And come on, like catch up. Why don't you just listen to him? In fact, in Exodus 6, for those of us that just read Exodus in the Bible plan, Exodus 6 is literally God laying out the entire book of Exodus for his people. 
he literally, like if you go back to Exodus 6 and read through, it's basically the entire book of Exodus in promise form, where God says to Moses, hey, say this to my people that I'm going to do this, 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 and then they're all going to be set free. And then it says that Moses takes these promises, takes the entire book of Exodus of what's about to happen, and brings it to the people of Israel, and it says that the people of Israel did not listen because of their harsh slavery and their difficult circumstances. And I remember reading that and being like, come on, like, don't you know what's going to happen? Don't you know how incredible this is? Why are, you being so, why are you grumbling so much? What is the issue here? And so it's easy for us to look into this situation with Peter where it's like, why, why are you doing this back talk? What's going on here? One of the th- ways I think that really helps us, especially with those that know, know the Bible decently well or know the stories be- decently well, one thing I encourage you to do is when you read the Bible, especially narrative when we're talking about history here, is really immerse yourself. Like put yourself into the story. We talked about this in youth group before. Put yourself into the story. I'm not saying make yourself the main character. Jesus is the main character and he always will be. But imagine what you would say. Imagine what you would do if you were these people. And, and we do this before. Like this is something that we do pretty often. We do this with movies. We knew this with books. Like if you're reading Harry Potter, it's not just Harry, Ron, and Hermione. It's Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Sean. You know, when you're watching Shrek 2, it's not Shrek, Donkey, and, and, and Fiona. It's Shrek, Donkey, Paul, and, and Sean, obviously. Um, and so immerse yourself into the text and, and really get yourself inside the head. And I think that will help us to empathize a little bit more and help us to see, oursel- or see ourselves or see what would happen if we were asked to do this. So let's kind of put ourselves into Peter's head. Uh, what we know from the text is that he has been out literally all night. He has been all out fishing uh, during the night shift. Has anyone ever worked the night shift or has anyone ever pulled an all-nighter? It is not fun. Not fun at all. In fact, there's usually a really annoying employee that actually kind of enjoys it and says, oh my gosh, look at me, I'm working at the cash register at night. That was an obscure SpongeBob reference for someone. Did anyone get that in the room? Yeah? All right, Brindy, thank you, thank you. I, uh, I actually wasn't allowed to watch SpongeBob as a kid, so don't tell my parents. Um, but yeah, that just had to put that in there. Um, but so Peter is out all night and toiling, and, and he has got nothing. And so he is coming back to see, and, and I'm sure he's a little embarrassed. Maybe there's some competition out there that's like, oh, man, Peter's coming in again without any fish. We know he's married because he has a mother-in-law, and so he's got to go home to his wife and say, hey, sorry I was gone. Maybe they had kids. Sorry you were gone with the kids all day, and, uh, and I got nothing to show for it. She's expecting him to bring home the bacon, which is not a realistic expectation. So he's going to only bring home fish. But anyway, um, he, he's expecting you know, to come home, and he's got nothing. And then as soon as he gets, imagine you're Peter, imagine, you, you get into port, and this new guy, Jesus, who again, healed your mother-in-law, so he's a pretty good guy, he, this guy, Jesus, comes up to you and says, hey, like, do you mind if I, like, use your boat to go out? Like, can we go back out? No! Like, like if you're actually there, it's like, no, I want to go home, I want to go to bed, I'm exhausted. But he's like, okay, fine, fine, and then he goes back out, and he listens to Jesus, Jesus talk for a really, really long time. And again, I'm sure it's amazing. I'm sure it was a really incredible sermon. I would love to hear it, but I'm sure he was really, really tired. He was really, really exhausted. And he was out deep sea fishing. If it was anything like my deep sea fishing experience, he might've been throwing up all night. It was awful. Um, so this is where Peter is. Peter is in a really, uh, uh, like, like, it kind of helps you empathize and makes you understand why he responded the way that he did, why he said what he did, where he says uh, that, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And Jesus is also a carpenter. And so what does he know about fishing? You know, this is the guy that's his trade, and why, why on earth would I listen to him? But again, we see Jesus, or sorry, we, we see Peter, we see Pete, take a step of faith and say, 
all right, listen, we toiled all night, we found nothing, but master, at your word, I will let down the nets. At your word, because you said so, not because of any other reason, I will let down the nets. And again, his inner lawyer has got to be going crazy. His inner lawyer probably has a million reasons. Again, we just went through them. A million reasons why he should not do it. But he's like, you know what, Jesus? I'm going to trust you here. I'm going to take this step of faith, and I'm going to do it. And of course, we know what happens next. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And so Jesus shows up in a really miraculous way, a really crazy way. He does something really, really awesome. Again, I'm sure Peter is very, very happy that he made this decision because now he brought home the bacon, proverbial bacon. Um, and, and, and then, but then also we see his inner lawyer come out again because I think not only are we really, really good at being our number one fan, but a lot of times we're also really good at self-deprecation and, and, and talking really poorly about ourselves. And so his inner lawyer comes out again and says, but Simon Peter saw, saw what had happened and he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, get away from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were, aston- all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so in this moment, he's like saying, so at first he's like, listen, I just want to go home. But now he's realizing who Jesus is. And he's like, listen, you should not be associating with me. You should get away from me because I, I, I am just a sinner. I am awful. If you touch me, you're going to be unclean. Just get away from me. He pushes him away. But again, Jesus responds. And he says, uh, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so Jesus responds to Peter and says, listen, that, that whole sinner thing, that, that doesn't bother me. In fact, being a sinner is a prerequisite to following me. So you're actually doing pretty well in that area. And so he says, why don't you, why don't you come with me? And that's just what Peter does. So the question is, why, why look at this passage? Why look at this, this example? Yes, we see you know, a person giving an example, Peter giving an example of an act of obedience, but you know, Sean, there's, there's a lot of really cool acts of obedience in the Bible, and this one's kind of lame. You know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he goes to the cross and like, he does that because he obeys God, that's really awesome. When Abraham like, leaves his family to follow God, that's an incredible act of obedience. When Moses goes and challenges Pharaoh, like, that's a huge, awesome act of obedience. Why on earth are we looking at this small, little, fishy situation? <laughs> I didn't expect anyone to laugh at that. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> Um, why are we looking at this? And the reason is, is because this so beautifully illustrates the Christian life. Because following Jesus, yes, there are big moments in following Jesus. Yes, there are proverbial moments where you're facing Goliath. There are proverbial moments where you need to sacrifice yourself and things like that. But for the most part, following Jesus looks like these little sacrifices, looks like these little acts of obedience that lead to big things. I think a lot of times uh, we live in, in a society where, where we're constantly seeing people's highlights. We are constantly seeing everything that everyone else is doing and all the awesome things that they're doing. If they're a follower of Christ, maybe you're seeing like, how, how, like, like all the incredible things that they're going. Maybe they're going overseas. Maybe they're you know, preaching to thousands of people. Maybe they're seeing a bunch of people come to Christ or they're just loving in such an amazing sacrificial way. And it's easy to look at those things and think, man, I could never do that. 
That, that could never be me. I, I definitely can't do that. But that's important to do those big things. It's very important to do those big things. But I'm telling you that the Christian life is much more in the little things. In those little moments where you're prompted by God to, to make a small sacrifice that maybe no one will notice and no one will applaud you for, but you're, you're prompted by Jesus to do a little thing and take a little step, and he rewards that. And a lot of times we look at these crazy big people doing these crazy big things, and if we actually took a magnifying glass to their life, we would find out that it was the little sacrifices along the way that led to those big decisions. And so my question for all of you guys today is that what is the little thing that God's asking you to do? What is the little step that God is asking you to take that you feel Jesus prompting you to? Don't try to think of the big things. Don't try to expect yourself to, you know, you know go overseas or go, go, go crazy or things like that. Whoa, whoa. If, you're, if you're a Christian in this room, what is the little thing that God is asking you to do? Maybe it's to go to one of these small groups that we have. Maybe you kind of sense like, oh man, I, I need some community, but I don't really want to. Like I'm busy that night or I'm busy this night or I really don't want to get to know. Maybe, maybe he's prompting you to do that and it would take some awkwardness. It would take some difficulty in order to take that step. Maybe it's to, to go to the financial piece. Maybe you're having some issues with money and, and, and you feel that, man, I, I need to get this together. And, and rather than trying to figure out your entire budget in a night, maybe it's like, okay, my, my tiny step that I need to take is go to this financial piece thing and start learning a little bit. What I'm saying is don't expect you, don't expect yourself to start out by doing the crazy large things. Start small because that is where Jesus starts with all of his followers. That's where he started with Peter. And if you're not a Christian today, um, you're in good company because Peter in this scenario, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think he would consider himself a Christian at all. Uh, Peter had just met Jesus. He's like, I, I kind of have an idea. He's healing some people. That's pretty cool. That's, that's kind of normal. I want to put myself around him. But I don't think he knows that this is the Son of God who came to, to, to you know, die on the cross for his sins and to rise again from the grave. And so maybe if you're not a Christian in this room, but you feel like there's, there's some sort of God out there, maybe you're an agnostic, maybe you're, 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 you're some, there's some sort of spirit out there and you feel like it's asking you to, to take a small step, then I'd, I'd encourage you to take that small step. Because ultimately, what those small steps lead to is to becoming who we were created to be. So when we actually see uh, an example of this later on in the gospel, so after Jesus has died and has been resurrected, once again we find Peter in John chapter 21 where he is fishing again. And he's not doing a good job. Uh, again, he's not, not doing well, so he's catching nothing. And then Jesus appears on the shores and, and tells them to cast the net over the other side. And of course, once they do that, they pick up a ton of fish. And in that moment, Peter realizes that it's Jesus and rather than responding the way that he did in Luke chapter 5, where he says, get away from me, I'm a sinful man, he actually puts on his robes and jumps into the water because he can't get to Jesus fast enough. And this is right after he had just denied him three times. But he goes, has a difficult conversation with Jesus, and continues to live his life, continues to make these little steps, these little acts of obedience, until ultimately he died for his faith. The man was crucified upside down. The Peter we see here is not ready to do that. But the Peter, trusting God in the little things, taking those little steps, ultimately led to that. So I think that's really, really important to recognize um, is that we need to start small. 
we love that, that, that song, Dream Small, and, and I think there's a lot of uh, beauty to it. We need to start small. Maybe you want to follow Jesus, but you're not ready to make these massive commitments. I would encourage you to find the little thing that God is, is, is calling you to do, the little thing that you have been talking yourself out of, and do it. And I promise you that God will be pleased with it. There's an incredible quote by a, name, a man named Bob Goff. Uh, he wrote this really awesome story, called, or a really awesome book called Love Does. I'd encourage you to pick it up. It's really, really encouraging. Uh, and he has a quote from his new book where he says, God is not dazzled when we go across the ocean. He is wowed when we go across the room. God is not dazzled when we go across the ocean. He is wowed when we go across the room. And what he, the point he's trying to make there, not that there's bad things about going overseas or doing big things for Jesus, but he's saying that what God delights in is when we trust him. Trust him with the little things, which ultimately lead to trusting him with the big things. And so that's what I would encourage you to do today is really take some time to pray and to think about what are the little steps, what are the little things that the Lord is calling me to that I need to trust him with and I promise that if you do those things that you will find that he is faithful and you continue down that line and you will become a person that you even never dreamed you would be because that is what Jesus wants for you. I'm going to pray for us and the band can come up while I'm praying. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are grateful for passages like this that remind us that so much of transformation, so much of, of love, of, of loving you and learning to love you happens in the little things. And so I pray that today we would walk away with a thing on our mind and a thing in our heart uh, that we know that you've been calling us to, that we've been avoiding, that we've been talking ourselves out of. But I pray you help us to take that little step. And I pray that you help us to see how that leads to such big change. Thank you so much for the time we got to spend together. Uh, and we pray that you bless this time of worship now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.